Pastor David, good evening everybody, and a special welcome to uh, anyone that might be new in our midst uh, this night. Um, on Sunday will be 45 years since I was baptised by full immersion, and um, I was brought up in the Catholic Church, very deeply involved in the Catholic Church, and when somebody came along and said the Catholic Church is telling you things different to the Bible and some very important things are not telling you at all. I just couldn't believe that. And um, it was a very difficult time in my life. But um, if something's right, you have to do it. It doesn't matter how hard it is. You have to do it. You can't live with yourself if you know something's right and you avoid doing it. But we want to talk about uh, tonight a little bit about do it now. Um, Pastor David mentioned about Fiji and... Um, Talking with a number of pastors uh, around Australia and over in, in, in Fiji, and uh, yeah, no electricity in many places at the moment. Um, maybe if the mobile phone networks come back up again, the mobile phones have gone dead, no battery, no way of charging their batteries, all that sort of thing. But uh, Sister Val was talking with Mita um, last night, and Mita's uh, sister there is very much involved with the op shop that is sending clothes over there. and just turns out that on the wharf right at the moment, got a message yesterday, there's uh, eight boxes of clothes over there just arrived. And so a lot of people have lost everything and there'll be some clothing there for them. But uh, even though they might lose everything, um, what joy in these people's lives. Uh, we brought nothing into this world, for sure we can take nothing out of it. Here we have no continuing city, we seek the one to come. And all the people say, Amen. We don't know how long we've got, what our life's about, what's going to happen. And so we're just talking about do it now. None of us know how much time we have. Don't cogitate. Don't meditate. Don't procrastinate. Don't vegetate. There's things that have to be done in our life. If we delay the things that need to be done, it may be too late. Tomorrow is often the busiest day of the week for many people. We'll do it tomorrow. I guess it's human nature. Yeah, tomorrow, the busiest day of the week. Uh, Martin Luther said, how quickly not now turns into never. And maybe there's things in your life you need to do. Not now. I'm comfortable. I'm okay. Not now. And in the end, it never ever gets done and so coming to the Lord for me 45 years ago I kept putting off and putting off I knew what I had to do and it was difficult for me to do so to turn my back on the Catholic faith that I was born into and uh, very uh, deeply involved there as I said my auntie is a mother superior and um, to, um, to be an altar boy and from probably four and a half years of age to be learning all the Latin responses, just like you teach a budgerigar or a parrot to say these things, just words or sounds, not even words, you haven't got a clue. And um, probably even now with a bit of pump priming, I'd come out with all the Latin responses. It was just all force-fed into me there. It was hard, very hard to break free. I guess I'd, I'd decided that I was okay wasn't saying that I was perfect, but after all my involvement with the Catholic Church, if anyone had a chance, well, I figured I should have a better chance than most. 
But I kept coming up against the scriptures where Jesus said, unless you're born of water and born of the Spirit, you can either see nor enter the kingdom of heaven. It didn't matter about how good I was or how much I looked to justify myself, I needed to be born again. I was baptised by full immersion as an adult, 27 years of age, and, and I received the Holy Spirit and I spoke in tongues and the joy of the Lord just bubbled up from deep down inside like the rivers of living water just bubbled up I began speaking in tongues. And that experience has sustained me all of these years. Praise the Lord. So our faith is not on a good argument. Our faith is on the experience as it was in Bible days. That's what transformed these people, wasn't it? On the day of Pentecost when they received the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, it wasn't they were great scholars. They had something to talk about, their experience of being born again. And we're telling people about this uh, all the time. And so tonight I was just thinking about not putting it off. And maybe if you're not baptised or filled with the Holy Spirit, well, why not tonight? I'm going to turn to Numbers 14. But while you're doing that, I thought I'd I read a little bit about Leonardo da Vinci. You all know that man? Leonardo da Vinci. He's known today as the supreme genius of the Italian Renaissance. But at the time, he had a reputation as a daydreamer who actually never finished anyone, anything. No one doubts that he was a man of incredible talent. He explored almost every field available to him in both science and art. He made significant contributions in engineering, architecture, biology, botany, anatomy, maths and physics. He sculpted, he painted portraits and murals. He made plans for ingenious machines that wouldn't be built for centuries. Throughout the plans for aeroplanes and helicopters and submarines. But he also never finished a project on time. Part of what made Leonardo such a Renaissance man was that he was too easily distracted. And maybe we are. His talents and energy were often wasted in doodles and unfinished projects. It took him 16 years to complete his most famous work, the Mona Lisa. Painting 16 years to paint that. He left the adoration of the Magi and, and uh, Jerome in the wilderness unfinished. He took 13 years to complete the version of um, Virgin on the Rocks in National's, National, uh, London's National Gal- Gallery. So it goes on. Leonardo only finished The Last Supper, that famous painting, um, after his patron, Ludovici, Duke of Milan, threatened to cut off his funds. So this uh, Ludovici is paying him money to work and to paint The Last Supper. According to one story, he was uh, outraged when a prior from the monastery where he was painting the fresco complained about the delay. Leonardo wrote to the head of the monastery explaining he had been struggling to find the perfect villainous face for Judas. How do you produce, you know, portray evil? Um, and that if he could not find an appropriate face, he would use the features of the prior who was complaining, but he hadn't finished the job. <laughs> In his latter years, Leonardo regretted never having completed a single work. He appealed to God, tell me if anything ever was done. Tell me if anything ever was done. All of his achievements, and he felt he didn't get finished the things that he needed to. He died in France in 1519, left numerous sketches for unfinished projects. 
He was born in 1452 and he died in 1519. So this is the time. When did Columbus sail the ocean blue? 1492, wasn't it? Columbus sailed the ocean blue and they thought he was going to go and fall off the edge of the earth. That was what many people thought in 1492. That's when Leonardo da Vinci lived. His interests included invention, painting, sculpting, architecture, science, music, mathematics, engineering, literature, anatomy, geology, astronomy, botany, writing, history and cartography, producing maps. He was variously called the father of paleontology, studied old bones and everything, ethnology and architecture, and is widely considered one of the greatest painters of all time, sometimes credited with the inventions of the parachute, the helicopter, and the tank. This man, back before 1500. They said he was an individual of unquenchable curiosity and feverishly inventive imagination. According to historian Gardner, the scope and the depth of his interests were without precedent in recorded history and his mind and personality seemed to us superhuman while the man himself mysterious and remote. Looked like a bit of a daydreamer while he's doing all of these things. He born out of wedlock to a notary, Piero da Vinci and a peasant woman and... um um, oh, we read some of this. The Last Supper, the most reproduced religious painting of all time, with all their fame approached only by Michelangelo's creation of Adam. Um, nevertheless, these few works, together with his notebooks, which contain drawings, scientific diagrams, and his thoughts on the nature of painting, compose a contribution to later generations of artists rivaled only by that of his contemporary, Michelangelo, who lived at the same time. These weren't people that were just idiots and, and peasants. I'd struggle with many of the things that he studied and he achieved. He's revered for his technological ingenuity. He conceptualised flying machines, a type of armoured fighting vehicle, concentrated solar power. He built an adding machine and the double hull, maybe to help out Alan Bond with his America's Cup challenge outlined a rudimentary theory of plate tectonics, working about how the plates and the earth and how, why you get earthquakes and all that sort of thing, back before 1500. Relatively few of his designs were constructed or even feasible during his lifetime, but some of his smaller inventions, such as an automated bobbin winder for your sewing machine um, and a machine for testing tensile strength of wire entered the world of manufacturing unheralded. He made substantial discoveries in anatomy, civil engineering, optics, hydrodynamics, and so it goes on. Today, Leonardo was widely recognised as one of the most diversely talented individuals ever to have lived. So, amazing achievements. But when they look at his life, and when he looked at his own life, he said, Lord, please tell me, it looks like I've never completed a single work. So we look at our life. And how many things have we got on the back burner? We're going to leave it till later on. In Numbers 14, verse 11, <coughs> um, this is after the children of Israel come through the, the Red Sea and they're in the wilderness 
The Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me and how long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I've showed among them? The Lord's saying they're putting it off all the time. I've shown them all these things. I've given them opportunities and they keep putting it on the back burner. Tomorrow, not now. Verse 22, the Lord says, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me how these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. And some people suggest there was ten different things where the children of Israel provoked the Lord after they come through the Red Sea, after they'd seen the hand of the Lord when they were being fed daily with the manna and the quail and everything else, still complaining to the Lord, not doing what he told them to do. They had to go in to possess the land. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoke me see it. So there's going to be a penalty. The Lord says enough is enough. How many times do I have to give you an opportunity? We just pray that the Lord doesn't say that to us and then we just keep putting on putting things on the back burner in our life, in our service for him. But my servant, the only one's going, my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land wherein he went and his seed shall possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. He said, tomorrow turn you and get you into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. Enough is enough. Do what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go in and take hold, possess the promised land. And maybe the Lord has given you a spiritual life which is beyond all of your dreamings and we haven't taken hold of what's available for us. We come along to meetings and we pray sometimes and so on, but we're not really taking hold of what we should be doing. A lot of procrastination and vegetation and whatever it was that I said meditating without doing something. In verse um, 33, the Lord says, And your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness after the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty days, each day for a year, shall you bear your iniquities even forty years and you shall know my breach of promise. And the Lord has said, I will surely do it under all this evil generation that are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed and there shall they die. Okay? 40 days you're checking out the promised land. And all you come back and say, it's too hard. Oh, it's got everything there, but it's too hard. And maybe the Lord has given you opportunities in a spiritual life and you think it's too hard to witness to make a stand for the Lord, to say no when you should be saying no and just as importantly saying yes when you should be saying yes. The things that you know that you should do, not now. I don't want to tidy that just now. I'll do that tomorrow. That's what I said, tomorrow, the busiest day of the week for most people. Um. Verse 36, and the men which Moses sent to search the land who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land died by the plague before the Lord. It's um, dangerous not doing it now 
what you need to do in your relationship with God Almighty, who sent his son Jesus to die for you. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were uh, of the men that uh, went to search the land, lived still, and Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. They realised they should have done something about it earlier. And so, you know, this is not something you have to answer to me about. There's something which you need to look to yourself. Other things which you are not doing now when you could and when you should. Maybe things that are not wrong, but they need to be done, and you're just putting it on, well, in the end, on the never-never. First Samuel 15, verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ash. Now it seems a bit drastic and so it was, but this was the instructions of God Almighty. He knew what he's talking about. He knew what had to happen. There had to be judgment upon the Amalekites and uh, you read commentaries about disease and everything. He said, don't have anything to do with the Amalekites, any of them, even their animals. You must go and destroy them. They try to stop you going to the promised land and you let them do that. You should have done what the Lord told you to do way back then and you wouldn't be in the trouble that you're in now. Down in verse 8, um, Saul uh, killed the Amalekites, but verse 8, he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword and Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they destroyed utterly. They sort of partly done the job. They didn't do what the Lord told them to do completely. Verse 18. Um, Saul came back and Samuel said, What's all this uh, the bleeding of the sheep that I hear and so on? And the Lord, uh, he said, And the Lord sent you on the journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them till they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but did fly upon the small, spoil and did evil in the, uh, in the sight of the Lord? And he's got all of his excuses, of course. Uh, it wasn't me. Saul said unto Samuel, yeah, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and have gone the way which the Lord sent me and I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. So he's, he's sort of changing things around and trying to justify himself as human nature. And many times here we find that people didn't do what they were supposed to do completely at the time. They put it off. It was like me when I was baptised. I was baptised because... I could see in the scriptures I had to be baptized. But they Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Repent and be baptized. They were pricked in their heart. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and the promises for you and your children, all those that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And that includes us here tonight. But then it goes on to say, as many as gladly received the word were baptized. Now, I was baptized, I think, on reflection, not because I wanted to. There was no gladness in that. It was because I was commanded to do that, and that's why I didn't receive the Holy Spirit straight away. 
I did after. Praise the Lord. He was patient with me. But I was sort of like these people doing some of making excuses um, for not doing all that the Lord was telling me to. Making excuses, Saul said in 21, but the people took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. We know what should have happened, but we, they took them to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. Ah, oh, we thought maybe the Lord would, would like this. And the Lord says, that's not what I told you to do. Verse 22, and Samuel said, the man of God, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken, to listen to the Lord, is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And so it goes on. And Saul said, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I've transgressed against God. He's trying to make excuses. The problem was he didn't do what he should have done straight away. He did part of it. And he deferred, put on the never-never, the other things, until in the end he convinced himself it was okay what he was doing. Have you done that in your life? Every Sunday we come and have communion that says we examine ourselves and see that we be in the faith. And if there's things that need to be done, do it now. Don't defer it until some later date. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. The Lord had told the children of Israel what they should be doing, and they didn't do it all. And so Jeremiah 8, verse 20 says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. They put things off, and in the end they had to pay the price. Like the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't do it properly. And here they're making out they're God's people, but they realize it's all over and we are not saved. For the heart, uh, the hurt of the daughter of my people, am I hurt? I am black or, or in despair. Um, astonishment has taken hold on me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people recovered? And so it is today that many people are not really being put under pressure or challenged by the word of God. We just pray that every time that we come to a meeting and we read the word of God, that we are challenged by what it says. We don't just come along for social activities. Of course, it's wonderful to be with our brothers and sisters and discover what is here, but we come along to be challenged because we want to live with the Lord forever. And if we're not challenged, we start cruising. Then we start making excuses. And then we're putting off, not now the things that need to be done. Matthew 25, verse 2. Of course, the uh, story of the uh, the wise and the foolish virgins, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And when the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept, and he came at midnight, and, and those that uh, didn't bring the oil, didn't keep their spiritual life topped up, had to try and on the coattails of the others. They said, sorry. Sorry, too late. You've got to do it while you can. And um, we look to support each other as brothers and sisters, of course. Of course, all the time. But in the end, it's up to you. And if you just put off the things that you need to do, in the end, you'll lament that. Verse uh, 11 says, Afterwards came also the other virgins saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know what, 
no, neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. And so these people here are people who call themselves Christians. They reckon it's okay, but they weren't doing what they had to do. They were just cruising along in their life. It's not wise. Chapter 27, just one verse, verse 3. And then Judas, which had betrayed Jesus, when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself and he brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So too late. He realised. He knew what he'd done was wrong. But he did drift a little bit until in the end there was no way back. And he went out and he uh, and he committed suicide. And so tonight we just look at our own lives and we make sure that we don't just vegetate too long. And what needs to be done, we do it now. If there's something you need to put to the Lord, get serious about it. Now. Let's all wait till Sunday. Sunday might never come. Who knows? If you've not been baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't have to study, you don't have to pass exams. You can be baptised this night in the baptism tank over there and you can receive the fire from heaven, the fire to burn up the chaff in your life. Praise the Lord. Luke 13, verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, they were challenged by the things that Jesus was saying. They started to sort of uh, be knocking at the knees a little bit. Am I right or am I not? Are there few that be saved? And Jesus said in verse 24, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. That's a pretty powerful verse. If you look that up in the Weymouth translation, strive to enter in, it says, strain every nerve and force yourself into the kingdom of heaven. You can't just fall into heaven. Just come a long way. Oh, how did I get here? It doesn't work that way. Strain every nerve to force yourself into the kingdom of heaven. That's what that verse means. A lot of people don't want to put in that effort. Oh, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not a bad guy. And I'm this and that. And, and, um, a lot of people worse than me, and uh, making excuses. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut to the door and you begin to stand without outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open it unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in your presence and you have taught in our streets, but he will say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there's not people that are that the rabble of the world, uh, obviously the rabble of the world. These are people who claim to be God's people. They're not born again. I never knew you. Not born of the Spirit. Go away. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it goes on. Um. These people weren't doing it now. They settle into a lifestyle. It's okay. Just it'll be right on the night, and maybe it won't. We need to finish what we start. A couple of little quotes here. Nothing is so fatiguing as the eternal hanging on of an incompleted task. You've got a job to do, and you haven't finished it. 
day after day after day, that's fatiguing. Just hang on to it. Get it done. Finish it. Much of the stress people feel doesn't come from having too much to do. It comes from not finishing what has started. Not that you're overburdened with all these things. You've started some things, you haven't finished them. And that becomes stressful. And if that's your walk in the Lord, no wonder it's a heaviness to you. We've got to finish what it is that we've started. We plotted a course. We went through the waters of baptism. We're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and march on into glory. Sometimes it's hard to know what to do. Theodore Roosevelt said, in a moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. That's obvious. The next best thing to do is the wrong thing. The worst thing you can do is to do nothing. If something needs to be done, don't just put it on the back burner and just leave it. Do something about it. We may not be wise and not really know what we should be doing, but do something about it. Otherwise, it will crush us. And if we've got the right attitude, the Lord will guide us and he will uh, all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and he'll show us what we ought to be doing. And I suppose a little, little uh, tip really is start with the hardest thing. Do the hard jobs first and the easy jobs will take care of themselves. When I was at, at primary school, every weekend we had to do a full step page essay to hand in on Monday morning. How many Sunday nights was I sitting there struggling trying to finish this essay? And in the end I thought, you idiot, what's the matter with you? So then I trained myself that every Friday night before I played, rode my push bike, whatever I did, I wrote my essay. Oh, what a wonderful weekend. Instead of the whole weekend worrying about this, I've got to do before I go to sleep on Sunday night. Maybe there's things that you're putting on the back burner. Do it now and you'll have a very happy walk in the Lord. We just finished in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. So we've got to have our eyes open all the time and not allow these nasty things to trap us. Lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know that how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, so he sought it carefully with tears. And so he sold out his, uh, his birthright with God for, for some food, but he just let it drift and drift. In the end, there was just no way back. And maybe there's things like that in your life that need to be addressed. If it's difficult, Talk to one of the pastors, the house leader, the elders, whatever, and, and get some assistance and support. That's what the church is here for, to hold you up. You don't have to just do it by yourself. You have to identify the problem by yourself so that you can be helped to overcome what it is that's holding you back. You do it now. And one of the favorite verses of mine in the Bible is verse 14 there, Hebrews 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, if you went out and you asked people, what are two things you must have to make it into the kingdom of heaven? 
How many answers would you get? Oh, you need to be baptized. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be walking under the Lord. You need to be witnessing. You need to be praying. You need to be reading your Bible. How many people would say the two things to get into heaven is peace and holiness? He says, without which, if you haven't got those, no man's going to see the Lord. No matter what else is going on, like the foolish virgins and like those that were without, that didn't strain every fibre of their being to get into the kingdom of heaven. It's only when you do attend to these issues in your life which are uh, troubling you that you can have peace. There might be storms all around, just like this extreme storms in Fiji. And yet the brothers and sisters are just happy and rejoicing and laughing and, and carrying on. There's peace in their life. Many other people in the Western world has got everything. We'll be complaining and moaning and, and looking for handouts. And, and Oh, well, we'll start again. And holiness. How do you get holiness? I dare say you can't go down to the supermarket and buy a paper bag full of holiness, can you? The only way you have holiness is to receive the Holy Spirit of God to be born again, to receive the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Or as a consequence of your believing, have you received the Holy Ghost? Or are you thinking, oh, one day I'll find out about the Holy Ghost. In the meantime, I'll just continue on the way that I'm going. Here, there, this church, that church, and with this one and that one, and sometimes flat out and sometimes a bit slack and cruising around. Who is your pastor? The Bible says that the pastor of the church, the oversight, has to give account for you. And so many people that I met in Cooper drifting around, I asked them, who's their pastor? Him. So well, that's fine. Of course the Lord ultimately is our pastor. We have to answer to him. But in the meantime, the Lord established a church. And he placed in the church all the different officers there in the church. How long? He says, until we all come to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, if you've risen to that level, if you come to the measure of the stature of Christ, well, you don't need a church anymore. You just carry on. You're okay. Don't put all, everyone put up their hands at once and say, I've attained to that level because you haven't. And that's why you need a church, a fellowship, such as the Lord has provided for us here and we really appreciate all the people.